Thanks, Stu. Morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Brilliant. Um, you all look like you've had a better night's sleep than I did. I went home last night thinking that would be a great idea to get some sleep before this morning. And Andy said last night um, that he would love to uh, see a day when the Protestant flute bands would be playing in Croke Park. Well, having been rerouted around Ballon Hinch last night and ending up in the Dramara Hills, I think I met your horse, by the way. I wish the Protestant flute bands would go away and play there too. What a horse, but what a lovely horse. For those of you who weren't here last night, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But it was a really good story. Um, <laughs> I just want to share some, some thoughts with you this morning around two passages of Scripture, uh, Philippians 2 and John 13, which capture one of the key characteristics of Christ, His humility, and that's what I'm going to be speaking about this morning, which was so highly valued, recognized, and identified that this was the song of the early church. As Clifford talked about looking to the early church looking to capture what they were about, look at them, get into their DNA, what were their values, what were they feeling, what were they seeing, what were they doing? They sang songs of Jesus' humility. And so if this was the song of the early church was, it's really important that we capture what it was. And songs are important, aren't they? I don't know if you have special songs in your life, songs that are our song, if you're that special loved up couple. Or the song that reminds me of, or that song takes me back to when. Songs can become anthemic, embedded into our psyche, and become identified with time and people and places. Abide with me and the FA Cup final. You'd know I used to be a PE teacher, wouldn't you? Ireland's call as the rugby anthem. And even when I went to South Africa to teach in a school over there, the school had adopted that song as their song and they inserted their school's name into the Ireland bit, shoulder to shoulder. I'm not going to sing it. We'll answer Ireland's call. Songs can capture something, can't they? Connect us to something. Connect us to someone. I always remember my youngest. We have four children, three teenage boys, and a daughter who is 12, her name is Karen. And when she was in P5, she had her friend over from primary school. And her friend came to me and said, Andrew, can you play a song for me and Karen to dance to? So I said, yes, of course. And I said, would you like something from Frozen? Something from Moana? And she said, well, have you not got some ACDC? <laughs> she said, I love Back in Black. Because I was born to be a rock chick. Songs connect us and and matter. And being brought up in a strict congregational and brethren setting, I had a red redemptional hymn book. I don't remember those. And one of my favorite songs was Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. This is my story. This is my song. What was the song then of the early church? What was their story? What was the song of those who walked closest to Jesus? What was the song of those who walked and talked with Jesus. Oh, the early church had songs. And one of the earliest, in fact, many scholars would say, what could be the earliest section that we have in the New Testament is found in Philippians chapter 2. 
And it's not without significance that this song is about the humble mind of Christ. What is important for us as his body in this land, in this time, is for the humble mind of Christ to be in us. This Christ hymn, this song, this creedal confession begins in verse 6 of chapter 2. But let's begin reading from verse 1, and we'll go through to verse 11. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy then of being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped at, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. He was found in appearance as a man, and he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And therefore, God has exalted him highly and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. These verses are framed, uh, the first four verses, in the manner of almost questions. But in the grammar that Paul uses, they're more like statements of fact rather than questions, wondering if this is so. And so it's better read like this. If there is any consolation in Christ, and there is. If there is any comfort of love in Christ, and there is. If there's any fellowship of spirit with Christ, and there is. If any affection and mercy, and there is, because of these foundational truths, we then are exhorted to have the mind of Christ. Christ is the mind that is to be formed in us. These things are to be had as we are one with Christ. This is who we are now as people united with Christ. And then the lights come on, the bass drops, the Holy Spirit keys begin to play, and the song begins. This Jesus Christ that this song sings of was in the form of God. It unapologetically deifies Jesus Christ as God. This was a man who was God. Make no mistake about it. This was a man who was God. And interestingly, this was not something that would have been strange at the time. This claim, particularly in Philippi, where this church was based, was very normal. Philippi was a place where the worship of the emperor was common. At this time, the worship of Nero was established, and it was saturating society. Ex-Roman military lived in Philippi. There was a cult of worship to the emperor, to the man who claimed to be God. There was devotion and worship to this emperor, a man who claimed deity, power, prestige, image, name, recognition, and ambition, and wealth. Self-promotion were the order of the day. 
And these were the qualities that were worshipped and admired and lifted up and elevated in these times. And into that melting pot, we have the song of Jesus Christ. A man who was God, it sings. Who was the very form of God, being the very embodiment of the essence of God. And so will this song be sung in the same way as the other man claiming God, Nero? This Roman God-man? who destroys enemies, who keeps people down, who oppresses, who causes struggle, who orders servers, who lords over and destroys enemies. Would this God-man be the same God-man? Oh, no. Our Jesus is no Nero. This Jesus Christ does not lead like that. He does not position himself like that. You see, he said this, my kingdom that I'm establishing is like nothing you've ever seen before. See, he said, my kingdom is not even of this world. My kingdom is of a different earthly, a different realm entirely. It's not of this earth. And they sing a song of the God man, but he does not lead like the other God man of the day. And the song continues. It sings this Jesus doesn't take his godness and use it for his own gain. He doesn't use it for his advantage. He doesn't promote himself at the expense of others. He makes himself of no reputation. He sets it aside. He pours it out. He lays it down. The very thing that could make him have dominant power and control and pride in who he was, he humbles and he self-empties. He could get whatever he wants, all the wealth, the palaces, the gold, the praise, yet our Jesus does not present himself in that way. He does not position himself as one to have a fanfare heralding his arrival to demand and insist that his position is recognized and worshipped. The emperor, as the god of the day in Philippi, would have a triumph. If they secured their victory in battle, they would have their procession. They would have crowds lining the route. Their name would be chanted. They would be worshipped. The enemies that they defeated would be trailed in front of them to embarrass and make them lowly. And humble. This was the culture of kingdom in the time of Philippi. What's the culture of kingdom now? My daughter Karen loves Disney princesses. The balls, the gowns, the carriages, the announcement of the arrival of the prince, the princess, the king, and the queen, and they make their way down the stairs. <gasps> she says, Daddy. It's so romantic. She's also currently torturing a boy at school who she believes is her Prince Charming. (laughs) He does not feel the same way. (laughs) Disney has a lot to answer for. But I wonder as we recently over this last year have looked to our cultures of kingdom, how different really are they? 
We've seen presidential visits where 16 different types of vehicle were used in the recent visit to this land. We've seen golden carriages with suspension and air conditioning, all moderned up for the modern kingdom. Demands of worship, of allegiance, of praise and honor and glory given and titles and grandeur. We are in no doubt of how their powerful arrive in our days and times either. But he, our only king, Jesus of Nazareth, the word in the beginning that became flesh, very God, begotten, not created, comes to a womb as a collection of cells. So quietly did he arrive in just one vehicle, the womb of a virgin Mary. And when the birth finally happened, how did the powerful, the king, the God-man, how did he present himself? Well, the cosmic angelic anthem was sung, wasn't it, on the hills in Bethlehem, but only to a few anonymous shepherds. And then he disappears to Egypt in hiding because there's a king who wants to kill him and hunt him down. You see, there's a king of a different kingdom on the loose. And then Jesus' life becomes one of tables and chairs of family life, working with his hands, growing in favor with God and people. Until one day, he's ready to enter Jerusalem as a God as what people wanted to see, as what people were used to seeing, the triumphant ruler and emperor. Is this God? And then comes Jesus, feet trailing on the coat of a donkey. God? Certainly not in the way that the gods of the day were acting. But then this was not a God of the day. This was the ancient of days. This was the God of the first day, that all things were made by him and through him and for him. This Jesus is a different God because he's from a different kingdom. He's a different king, amen? And as Paul puts this song in his letter to the church at Philippi, who are seeing the gods of day, this song that has been formed in the time frame since Jesus has ascended to now sings of a different king. And it sings of a different God. It sings the song of a humble king. This song is known by the church. That must have been established and written down super early for this song to be in the structure and the form that we find it in now in this book. And songs are written, aren't they, and based on experience. I mean, I say that as if I've written lots of songs. I mean, I've written no songs, right? But I'm told by creative people that songs are best written out of experience. And I wonder what this song is based on. I wonder as the, as the disciples and the ones who walked and talked with Jesus sat around and, the, and they told their stories. And they were like, what are we going to write our, we need to write some of this stuff down. What are we going to base it on? I know, I know one. Well, let's, let's write a song about the miracles. Let's write a song about the power over the sea. Let's write a song about the power over the bread, over the wine. Let's write songs about the power. And then someone says, I know. Let's write a song about his humility. In John 13, I propose and suggest to you this morning 
gives us a theology for this song. I'm not saying it's 100% fact that it's based on this. But journey with me as we discover the links between these two passages this morning. And then we'll see where we go and how this applies to us. In John 13, we see we know when you flick to it in your scriptures, you'll know it well. Before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come and he was going to move into the time of his life where he would be arrested and he would be crucified. But it says this in John 13, 1, that he knew his hour had come. He knew he would depart from this world to the Father. And he loved his own from who were in the world and he loved them to the end. And in verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father, listen, had all things given into his hands, and he knew that he had come from God and was going to God. He knew he had come from God and was going to God. He being in the very form of God, he was God. Does it sound familiar? And now we read that he knows as God all things are in his hands. All things are in his hands. He is coming from God and going to God. He is very God. What does he do now with these hands? He has the kingdom. He has the power. He has the glory. How will our king behave? Are these hands going to be the same hands as the other kings of the kingdom's work and sign edicts of war? Are they going to sign doctrinal absolutes that make and oppress and put people down? Are they going to point and send his followers out to seize control? Are they going to seize and grab with a clenched fist? Is this what the hands of the God-man are going to do? What do the hands do? These God-filled hands, with power, take off an outer garment and put on an apron. These God-filled power hands would be used to lift a jug of water and pour it into a basin. These God-filled power hands would lift the dirty feet of his followers and begin to clean them. These God-filled, powered hands served who? His deniers, his betrayers, and his deserters. That's what the hands of our king did. It's no wonder they wrote a song about it. This is our king. This is our king. He's my king. He's our king. Church in Ireland, this is the king that we follow. We do not take our hands and use them for anything else other than to serve the people of this land. That's our call. It always has been. It's never changed. It was so interesting. Oh, so interesting last night, Andy, when you, you taught on Second Kings. And I went home and I read 2 Kings. And do you know how the story ends? Andy was talking last night about the surrounding of the army of Syria and Elisha and the servant and how that there were greater numbers around than those that they could see with their eyes. And then this, the theme of sight is developed further, isn't it? As they are made blind. And Elisha leads them to the center where they are now surrounded. And the power as that game show said, is in your hands. 
The people are there, surrounded now. What does the king do? He says, Father, he says to Elisha, Father, what do we do now? Do we kill them? Do we seize the power? Do we grab it? Do we destroy? Do we oppress? Do we put these guys away for good? What does Elisha say? Why don't you tell me? What does Elisha say? Give them what? Give them eyes. And then what? Food and water. He's always been a different God. He's always been a different king. And he's beautiful. Amen? He is beautiful. This song that is sung about Christ that celebrates what these hands did is a beautiful song. And church in Ireland, now it is our song. We want to sing the song of a humble Savior and be a humble people. And it's no wonder that this is the song that they sing about their Savior. You see, Philippians 2 goes on to sing this, doesn't it? He makes himself of no reputation. He takes on the form of a servant. This form of God is the form of a servant. Do you agree with me? It could be based on John 13. Give me a wait. I mean, maybe. What do you think? Imagine. Imagine with me. Journey with me. That the soldiers come to arrest Jesus. But they don't come to the garden to arrest him. They come to this room to arrest him. And they burst in. I'm not going to do a Roman soldier accent, right? But they burst in. Oh, I know. Well, I could do. No, I'm not. <laughs> they burst in. We're here for Jesus. Where is Jesus? And they point. That's him. No, 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 no. Where is Jesus of Nazareth? Where is the one they call king of the Jews? Yeah, that's him. No, no, no. It can't be him. Where is he? Stop covering for him. No, that's him. It wasn't enough just to come as Philippians 2 in the form of a man. He humbles himself to be the lowest servant in the house. How can the king be a cleaner of feet? That's my king. He humbled himself. Guys, he was the creator. He was the word in the beginning, the one who was with God, who was God. Nothing was made that was made without him behind it. And he humbles himself and becomes the least of the servants in the house. This is a humble king who would clean the feet of his people. And as the song continues and as the passage continues, we know that it points to the ultimate act of service that would follow. Soon after this, these hands that washed these feet would be unable to do so because they would be nailed through to a cross. Our Savior humbled himself. They sang even to death on a cross. A king who pays the ultimate cost, the greatest act of service to humanity that was needed was paid by our servant, humble king. As culture and society looks to the church today, 
I wonder, what does it see? I wonder, has it seen something that looks more like other institutions and organizations and structures around it? I wonder, has it seen somewhere that seems to elevate people, buildings, programs, and names to positions of power and are worshipped in ways more akin to the emperor in Paul's day than the days of Jesus and the ways of Jesus? Church in Ireland, these are the days where we regain the posture and position of the Savior that this song was sung of. The king of the world cleans the feet of the world. Our position as servants to the people of this land is a humble position. How could it be anything else? Because this is the song of our Savior. Our position as servants to the people of this land is a humble one. Our posture is a humble one. And our call as servants to the people of this land is a call to do so with humility. And not just as church gathered on a Sunday, but as church scattered in homes and workspaces and places across this land. And I believe that the Lord would say to us today that there are spaces and gaps that only we can fill as church. That there is a day coming and yet is now where there are spaces and people falling through gaps and cracks that only we can actually fill as we serve this land. And so as Andy spoke about vision and looking and seeing, my prayer and my heart for us as a gathering of churches together is that we have eyes to see where the gaps are, where there are people falling through, that we can actually fill those spaces. You see, there's a gap here. When Jesus sat with his friends around the table, there was a gap. There was feet that hadn't been washed. What did Jesus do? He filled the gap, didn't he? And I believe the Spirit would invite us with our sight to see where the gaps are that we need to fill and can fill because we can do all things that God has asked us to do through Him who strengthens us. Amen. I want to finish and close with, with this. I have no idea how long I spoke for. It could be an hour. I don't even know. It could be 15 minutes. I don't even know. When the early church, and I shared this in Emmanuel, poured it down a few weeks back, I felt that it had significance, and I, I, I talked to Al, and he, and he agreed significance for a church in a broader sense across Nua and across Ireland. The early church looked to appoint men over work in Acts 6 of serving food and look after the most vulnerable and overlooked in society. They looked for people to carry the humble mind of Christ in service. There were people carrying the humble mind of Christ in teaching, and they wanted them to carry the humble mind of Christ in service. The same word is used to describe both actions. No one is lifted above the other. Serving word, serving food. Serving word, serving food. Both elevated in the humble mind of Christ. But you know what they looked for when they wanted to appoint people to these positions? They looked for people of good reputation. 
Specifically, they said, find us men of good reputation. And the Holy Spirit really moved within me. Stirred and poked and challenged and broke me. And said, where are the men of good reputation in the church? I need men of good reputation. Because as the world has looked at the church in the last number of years, it has not found too many men of good reputation. Men in this space, in this church in Ireland, God is calling you to good reputation. And I'm going to do something that I didn't plan to do, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to try to hold it together. For those of you at CFC, you know that that can be difficult for me. <laughs> Are they strategically prophetic tissues? God, you're so funny. I drove down today and I looked at a mountain. I often used to drive down to this part of the world because I went to Mullertown House camps. Anybody know Mullertown House? Big whoops, love Mullertown House. And at the age of 11, I drove down to Mullertown House camps as a wee camper. And my leader was a guy called Keith. He was a mountain. Genuinely, he was like six foot three. I was not. He was a mountain. But you know, he sits in this room this morning. That same mountain. You have no idea how much your mountain means to me. Consistent, set, steady. I want to say this too, beautiful. And as the seasons have changed around you and your colors have changed, you used to be so strict and fundamentalist. Now you're like a raven charismatic. I praise God <laughs> for your amazing wife who had a huge part to play in that, I think, and the wonderful Holy Spirit who moves in us, shapes us, and forms us in the image of God. But I thank you for being a mountain and a man of good reputation. Because the story of the church in Ireland, not just for men of good reputation, but for people and women of good reputation, but it has been more of an issue with us. I'm just going to own that. But no more. There's a line here. It's the joining of this grass, fake grass, whatever we want to call it, artificial grass. I just want to do a simple prophetic act. If you want to be a man of good reputation in this church, for this land, for this time, I want you to come and stand at this line. And then I want you to step over the line when we do so with together in the Holy Spirit. Would you join me? Would you do that? If you're a man who wants to be one that is known of good reputation, who has looked to in this church, in this land for too many years, 
it's too crowded this line, find another line. Just find a line. And for those who are not standing at a line, can you stand and reach out a hand and pray? Because this is not separation, this is togetherness. I really want our church in Ireland to be known as the church that serves the people with humility and love and grace, just like our Jesus did. And so in the name and the power of Jesus Christ and in the presence and indwelling of his Holy Spirit, we step forward and cross a line in the power of the Spirit and we say, Holy Spirit, make us men of good reputation. Make us a church of good reputation. One that reflects your goodness. One that reflects your glory. One that reflects your humility. One that reflects your love. We step into what you have for us. You're seeking it, Lord. You're seeking it, Spirit. Well, here it is, Lord. We say, be found in us. Holy Spirit, take our hearts. Holy Spirit, take our minds. Holy Spirit, give us the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in us. Amen. That was also in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let this mind be in us. That was also in Christ Jesus. Amen. Would everyone just stand if you could um, and join us on our feet? Why don't we just pray together this, this really simple prayer. Let this mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus. And to build on what Andy talked on last night, I feel it's significant that we have eyes to see where the spaces are in our society. So again, if you're comfortable, place your eyes just on your, on your, your hands on your eyes and just pray this. Lord, show me what are the spaces that I can fill through Christ who strengthens me? Where are the gaps that you need us to fill by the power of your spirit? Let it be. Amen. 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 Just going to grab and ask a woman and the guys to to come up and, and lead us in a in a response um, in worship. Once we do that, I, I don't want to I don't want to lose any significance of moments, and so it's going to be a real open space for prayer for ministry. Um, our prayer team are going to come as well. If you want prayer and, and, and some the decision that you've made or something you've decided to step out of and into and you want that sealed in the spirit, then stay and hang around at the frontier. Let the guys pray and seal that decision and that spirit and that commitment over your life. But let's respond in worship to our humble servant king, Jesus. Amen.